When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Album. I sound a little under the weather. I am a little under the weather. It's, uh, it's the byproduct of going to Haiti for 10 days and letting every one of 54 kids sit on my lap and breathe right in my face. And uh, along with the kissing and the hugging and the holding and I wouldn't trade it for anything, but apparently I picked something up on my way back uh, and came home, and and that was the nice surprise that I found once I landed. I said, Gee, "What's that tickle in my throat?" And oh no! Next thing I knew, next thing I knew, full out cold. Uh, but don't fret for me; it just sounds worse than it is. And so we welcome you to this podcast, Lisa Goitsch, as you can hear, my my chicken soup consort, friend, and producer here. Uh, I've already had the chicken soup today twice. I've had lentil soup. I've had. Uh, you, do you do you go into like a uh, a sick person eating thing when you're sick, even though there's no real proof that what you eat has anything to do with whether you're going to get better or not. But you feel like when you're sick, you should never eat pizza, for example. Like, oh no, 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 you can't eat pizza. You're sick. It's like, well, why not? I mean, what, what's pizza got to do with it? But you know, you can't eat that. You can't have ice cream. You're sick. And and there's like foods that are okay when you're sick. And I noticed, you know, my wife is like pulling them out of the refrigerator. Look, have a little fruit. Have a little fruit. Uh, you know, have some soup. Have a little fruit. And it's like, I could eat a turkey sandwich. I mean, it's not. Right. I don't think <laughs> that has anything to do with your sore throat. Not, right. But But it's like there's sick food. Applesauce is a sick food. You know, you can eat that. Um, Jello. Know, yeah, Jello. Uh, whoever whoever thought that Jello <laughs> did anything for anybody? Nothing. It's got no nutritional value whatsoever. You'd be better off eating a ham sandwich. But you know, you, you uh, yeah. So anyhow, I've been eating that sick person's diet, which makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, but going along and trying to get better. Uh, so as I say, it sounds worse than it does, and I'm a little bit like froggy in the in the little rascals today. Yeah, but there is some magic, I have to say, to chicken soup. I really think that there is something in chicken soup that makes everybody better. You know, I'm a vegetarian and I don't eat chicken, but I uh, will have chicken broth and chicken noodles, and I will not spare myself the matzo balls uh, uh, when I am sick. Probably uh, the single worst food you could eat <laughs> in terms of health is a matzo ball. Oh, they're so good. Nothing but dough and and fat and, and, you know, all rolled into one. And sure, oh, that's health food. Yeah, eat that when you're sick. It really is. Now I think about it, it's this whole, we have this whole sort of culture of just the foods that you eat when you're sick. But I I don't really think there's a lot lot to it. I probably should be eating the same piece of salmon or salad that I had before. But you don't feel like it. You feel like, no, I'm sick. Just let me have a few berries. A few, a few oh, blueberries. 
get some orange juice. Uh, anyhow, we hope you're enjoying the start of your new year and that you haven't broken too many of your New Year's resolutions uh, already, if you made them. We have a tradition, by the way, at, uh, at the Have Faith Haiti Mission, where I say I always spend New Year's. And so I was there for those uh, 10 days at Span. I just came back. And the tradition is that, uh, well, we have this celebration tradition, which is really sweet because it's an orphanage. And what can you do? You know, you're not going to have champagne and a band. You, know, <laughs> you can't uh, do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going, we, we, we have these, uh, we get these sparklers, which is pretty amazing. I've discovered because in a country where there's no electricity, clean water is a challenge. You know, finding any kind of produce that, that, that you can trust is a major undertaking. And yet, if I give one of our teenagers 10 bucks and he goes outside, he'll, in five minutes, he'll come back with 150 sparklers, you know, firecrackers. That's crazy. I, I don't know where, how, but they, they, they just grin at me. When I say, how did you do that so fast? They just grin. We know some people. So anyhow, they come back with these sparklers and we have 54 kids and the... Um, Every kid gets a sparkler, which we light. Of course, the little ones, you know, we hold it for them and everything. But it's very exciting because they're holding these things that, you know, are, are glowing and sparkling. And, and they have to make a wish for the new year. And then they put the sparkler into this big kind of wheelbarrow of dirt uh, that we have. And everybody puts their sparkler in. And, you know, they go out at different times. And after the last kid puts his in, and then they all stand back and they watch as they slowly go out. And when the last sparkler goes out that's new year's and we all sing you know old lang sign which they have learned mostly they just sing da 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 you know, just sing yeah, that's that. what everybody does right yeah, they don't know the words <laughs> none and of they us jump do. up and down they jump up and down and they scream happy new year and it's just wonderful and um then we have this tradition in addition to that and we always have pizza and cake and a party but um i have this tradition where they make new year's resolutions and they have to make two New Year's resolutions and they write them on a piece of paper. And you know how kids are, especially in places like Haiti and, you know, just writing something is a, is a treat. And so they, they do them up with flowers and with designs and guitars and all kinds of things. But they, they do their two New Year's resolutions. And then I take those resolutions and I put them in an envelope and we don't look at them again for a year. And then on New Year's Day, we open them from the year past and everybody reads somebody else's resolution and all the kids decide if that kid kept the resolution or not, you know? Oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. It's really kind of cute, you know? And, uh, of course there's, there's a little bit too much glee in like when a kid says, uh, I make a resolution not to talk back to the nannies, you know? Oh, 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 you know, they all start <laughs> wagging their fingers. You didn't do that. You didn't. And they get defensive, but, uh, it's cute. And it's a way of like keeping kids in check on, you did make this promise a year ago. And, you know, did you keep it before you made your new resolution? So um, it's sweet. I, I really enjoy New Year's. And then I came back home. And, you know, one of the nice things about being in Haiti as often as I am is that you can't help but disconnect from um, the media of the world because you just can't get it. You know, we don't have televisions. And, you know, computers barely work. The internet is so slow that you're lucky if you get an email, but that's it. And streaming anything is impossible. And so we really, you can't watch CNN. You can't watch Fox News. You can't watch 
MSNBC can't, you just can't get it, you know? And when you can't get it, you find that you don't miss it. And you just, you know, just go, you just go about your day thinking, well, you know what? I don't need to know what's happening in the world every five minutes. It's okay. I can just be here with the kids and concern myself with the little things that are going on here. Like we just ran out of Play-Doh or, um, you know, somebody just ate an orange crayon or something like that. I mean, that to me is just as important as whether, you know, some judge just got a you know, issued a ruling on something or whatever, you know. And so it, it's a really great, really great thing. Yeah. Imagine if we all did that every day. Like, I feel really good when I don't watch the news. And I've kind of tried not to do that for the past few months. And it is so good for the soul. Everybody should do that. There's yeah. other things to think about. Think about your own life. Read a book. Um, we can't change mu much of the stuff that's happening anyway. Right. So uh, don't ingest it. So this leads me to the topic for today, which is that when I came home, you know, I, I'm a creature of habit like everybody else, you know, get home and after a few minutes, everything's unpacked and you're wandering around the house, you flick on the TV and the TV was on to one of the news channels. And I can't remember if it was CNN or Fox or one of those, but they were blasting the other side as they always do. I mean, just vitriol, you know, uh, Biden's this, this, that, and the other thing, and you know, or, or, you know, white supremacists are ruining the nation. And they, and what I realized is a question that we're going to pose today, which is how much do we need an enemy in our lives? How much do we almost revel in having someone, some group, some representation that we can say they are against me? They are my enemy. I need to be at war with them. I, whatever they think, I don't. Whatever they want, I don't. What they want is to destroy me, and therefore I need to destroy them, or I need to be protective of myself. And I realize that part of the reason that I think people do click on the TV as often as we do here and can't break away from it, Lisa, as you suggested, is because there is a need inside us as Americans to have a common enemy. It may go back to the formation of this country, which, let's face it, was formed as a revolution to the British. Yeah, that's true. They were our common enemy at that time. Uh, of course, the Indians, we were their common enemy. That's know? true. And, that's and uh, you know, we go on and on. But we were forged in war, and we set up a government to protect against anybody doing that to us again. If you really read the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, so much of that was basically an answer to the enemy of the British system, which was class-oriented and king-oriented and all that. And, and we basically wrote our, our founding documents as a, as, a, as a big middle finger to the British and say, you know, we are not going to be you and we will never let anybody become the enemy here like you have been our enemy to us. So you go back then 250 years and now you come up to modern day and I think that 
you can spot times on the timeline where America felt like, well, we needed a common enemy. Certainly in 9-11, we all had this common enemy of Al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at other times, Iraq and Saddam Hussein, some kind of common enemy. More recently, there are groups that feel like illegal immigrants are a common enemy. And we need to, I'm paraphrasing here, defend our way of life against people who are coming over and just freely taking it away from us. And they get very, very upset about that. Mm-hmm. And there are many people who see conservatives as an enemy and they're going to strip people of their voting rights and they're going to set us back a hundred years if we don't overcome them with all kinds of new policies that we can put in place to lock them out, et cetera. And all of it just seems to come down to this theme of the other guy, the enemy, the other guy. And I want you to ask yourselves at home, whether it be political or whether it be personal, think about your workplace. I bet most of the people who are listening to us, if they work in an office of some kind, of any size, there's the allies and the enemies in the office, right? Oh, yeah. There's the people that you consider on your side and the people that you watch out for. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Often it's hierarchy too, you know? I mean, I think sometimes the little guy likes to look toward the top and and the, the, and common, an enemy. Yeah. the common enemy of the people down here is normally up above, you know? That's right. And That's then- right. It can get very clicky too, just like high school, where um, sometimes clicks form and everybody turns against that one employee that's either a jerk or uh, it, it gets very high schooly sometimes yeah. in an office setting. And it think does. about that. It goes all the way back to high school. This goes back to elementary school. Kids, yeah. everybody needs an enemy. Yeah, exactly. We'll be back with more Tuesday People right after this. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm reading something from Psychology Today from a couple years ago. A recent study found that enemies can give us comfort in the face of uncertainty. Social psychologist Daniel Sullivan and colleagues found that when they presented participants with the passage describing the U.S. government and economic structure as chaotic and disorderly, people were more willing to attribute greater influence to an enemy in their life. In a follow-up study, the research found that presenting people with information about a powerful enemy like Al-Qaeda boosted people's perceptions of perceived control. Instead of believing that bad things happen for no reason, enemies give us a sense of control, allowing us to attribute bad things to a clear cause that can be understood, contained, and controlled. Common enemies can serve to unite people. Now think about that. 
if you if you don't believe that's true, look at the last election we had for president. Anybody who's neutral on what happened knows that that was first and foremost a referendum on President Donald Trump. The people who voted against him or for the other guy were voting as much to get rid of Donald Trump and the way that he had governed as they were for Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. That was clear by the studies that they did. He was the enemy. He still is the enemy for many people in this country. They can't stop talking about it. And meanwhile, the people who voted for Trump felt like people like Biden and Harris, AOC and the others were the enemy. They weren't just the other party. They weren't just the other party. This is about an enemy. This is about perceiving people as wanting to destroy you or your way of life. And I maintain that there is a path. There is a path in life that you can live without enemies. That does not mean that you agree with everything that everybody says or that is opposite of yours, but it means that you take an attitude, first and foremost, that you are more alike than different Mm -hmm. to anybody else on this planet. And so therefore, the first thing that you should think of is that person is part of the big family of man. That person is part of the same human existence that I am. And so I have an obligation to see the best in him or her. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't always work because even within families, people become enemies. Maury spoke about this once when we were talking about the Vietnam War. It was interesting. And he, he was talking about all the kids that he would have to deal with who were at war with their parents over this issue. Listen to this cut from our conversation. They can't talk to their parents, especially during the Vietnam War days where there was this big split. One student came up to me and said it's because he was being so, quote, radical, his father wanted to kill him. Really meant it because, you know, the kids would denigrate their parents, say, what are you doing? You're supporting the war and so on. Their parents would get wild with anger. Because here I am supporting my kid through college. He turns out to be an enemy. So it was really mm. tough times for these kids and the parents. But anyhow, my role was to help them see straight and to calm down. So you see, even within a family, people can perceive one another as an enemy. But... In that family, when something like that happens, at least in most families, there comes a time where people say in that argument, you know, why are you doing this? Or you can't say that to me. And, and one party will say, I say it to you because I'm your father and I love you. Or the son says, I say it to you because I'm your son and I love you. Or I say it to you because we're a family and we have to be able to talk about these things. And most times, not all, but most times that does it, right? It's like, okay, they're right. I got to forgive them. We don't see eye to eye on this. But hey, it's my brother 
Hey, yeah. it's my son. Hey, it's yeah. my mother. Hey, it's my grandmother. Come on, come on. And we excuse it. We don't allow ourselves to become enemies within our household, right? Yeah, that's true. Or you don't you don't defriend your grandma on social media. There you go. Is, Although some people do defriend their parents, I'm sure. Which is I'm the sure greatest the greatest new thing of the new age. Yeah, defriending. Yeah. Defriending. Well, I mean, you think about that, it, that in and of itself is my likes, my likes. These are people who are on my side. You know, when you put out when you tweet out a a controversial statement, People immediately judge, how many likes do I have? How many dislikes? How many thumbs up? How many thumbs down? And those who like, my friends. And those who dislike, my enemies. Yeah. That's how we perceive strangers. But I'm saying that if you apply that household test that I just gave you, that example in which there's a backstop to your anger. There's a backstop to your anger. The backstop is, well, I recognize I have a connection to these people. And I don't want to blow this connection to them over this issue. We can see differently on different issues. I still can appreciate who they are. Well, can you imagine if people just took that approach to the large-scale issues of, okay, I got vaccinated, and I think everybody should get vaccinated. but I understand why people are afraid. I understand why maybe they have bad experiences, bad history. They just don't trust the government. I I have to understand that. Hey, they're human beings like me. I have my take on it. They have their take on it. Instead, all we hear is those unvaccinated people shouldn't even be allowed in the hospital. Those unvaccinated people should go to the back of the line. They should die if they want to die. I mean, people actually say that. If you're making a choice to die, then die. It's, It's all like you are the enemy. That statement, you know, it, this is a disease of the unvaccinated. Now, you are the enemy. We just build that into our speech yeah. all the time. There has to be an enemy. If you listen to Fox News at night when they do their opinion you know, broadcasters, every segment, every segment could be summed up, summed up with who's the enemy. This person, this is what they're doing wrong. This police force or this this city council in the city, this politician, this democratic lawmaker, this woke teacher, they're the enemy, the enemy, the enemy. And the same thing happens on MSNBC all yeah. day long. Well, all news things do that because I think that they know that that's what their listeners obviously like, right? They love to glom onto that stuff and it's what fires people up and it's what keeps the listeners coming back. Yeah. So yeah. we have to change as listeners. That's what That's we right. have to do and not ex- and not accept that sort of thing anymore. Right. If someone else is just yelling at someone that you don't know, you don't automatically assume that what they're saying, let's say you pass them in a supermarket and a person is screaming at the other person. You're a no good this, that. You know, I never liked you. You always treated me bad. You always did everything. You don't immediately assume that the person they're yelling at is the bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. And they're the good guy. You you just as easily would say that person's crazy. Yeah. Right? But the important thing is you don't know. And you say to yourself, I don't know. I don't know those people. I don't know. And yet we are not willing to say, well, I don't know 
all these people that they're talking about. I haven't really ever met that politician. I never really met that actor. I never really met that singer. I don't want to say I hate them. I don't know them. Let me give them the benefit of the doubt. They're more like me. I've told this story many times on this podcast, and I'll continue to tell it because I just think in our day and age, it's so vital. When Maury was watching the news and saw some footage of the war in uh, in uh, Yugoslavia, in that area there at the time, Serbia, Croatia. Yeah, my people. And, yeah, and um, yeah, your people. And he started to cry. And I said, why are you crying? And he said, this is so terrible what's happening to these poor people. And I said, but you've never been there. You've never been to that country. You don't know any of those people. I understand you could say, oh, isn't that a shame? But why are you crying? You're crying. And he said, Mitch, when you are dying, everyone else's pain becomes your pain. You feel their pain because you feel your own. You feel their fear because you feel your own. Ask yourself if you've ever been truly scared in a moment, got some bad news that you're hanging on, whatever. Suddenly you become so much kinder to other people. You almost think like, if I do something nice, if I if I help them out, maybe I'll get out of this bad thing I'm in myself. You know, it's, it's so somehow it's just more appealing to be kind when you're scared and and, and worried about something for yourself, mm-hmm. as opposed to when everything's going great for you and you just don't even give it a second thought. Well, it shouldn't take us getting a terminal illness to recognize that making others the enemy is not going to be productive for our lives. And if we, and so I I issue you this challenge. Go forward this week. And anytime you find yourself saying, yeah, they're those no good such and such they are, I don't like them, they're the, you know, and you could put the word enemy in. Pull back and see if you could see them as members of your own family and cut them some slack and say, well, what if it was just my uncle who had these crazy political views or whatever, but he was still my uncle. I could still find something good in him. See if you could do that. See if you don't feel better about yourself than having to always come home at night and flick on the TV and determine, okay, who's on my side and who isn't? Yeah. Who's my enemy and who's my friend? Yeah. It goes back to the United We Stand Divided but We Fall phrase. Some of these cliches are so old that you feel embarrassed saying them until you say, wow, how brilliant how brilliant the statement that really is. And when we fight amongst ourselves, you know, not to get biblical, but when when they were, the people in the early days of the Bible were building the Tower of Babel and they all had a single purpose, which was to get to the heavens so that they could take over and become God. They built that thing in no time. They built this tower and they were all working night and day and night and day and night and day. And they all had this single purpose. It was a bad purpose. And then God changed their languages and made them all speak in different tongues. And suddenly they couldn't understand one another. And they became opposite sides. And they became enemies and they fought and and they were all destroyed. Common ground is not a cliche and is not something Pollyannish. It's something that we should find and seek in all of our relationships. Always see if you can try to think like the other person. Try to see where they're coming from. Amen.
And don't feel you have to fill a need for an enemy. Who really wants enemies when you say that? It's like, yeah. Do you have any enemies? Yeah, I've got I've got six enemies. Yeah. <laughs> I hate them all. You know? I hate enemies. Like yeah. I, I don't I don't like the feeling of enemies. I, I really don't it makes me sad. I mean, like even people who are completely politically different than I am, uh, all I do is I just make sure that we don't discuss those kind of things, but I don't necessarily want to be their enemy unless they're a total jerk. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I just, I don't want to, uh, you so know. So there is, there is a line that you draw. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they're still not my enemy. I just prefer not to have that negativity in my life. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not saying they should all be your friends. I'm saying... It's better to have a lot of friends and no enemies. Yes. Even if you don't have as many people in your world, than it is Definitely. to have an equal number of friends and enemies. You Definitely. will you will go through life much more peacefully, as I mm -hmm. tend to do when I don't have this this uh, constant whipping into a frenzy going on. You know, when I'm down in eighty. So that's my thought for today. I, I'm going to spare everybody any longer torture of <laughs> listening to this terrible voice. I like I your do. voice like this. It's, oh, it's, no. uh, it's different, it's Mitch. Just yeah, it's, it's uh, different. Everybody different will be sending you. Everybody will be sending you well wishes now, uh -huh. and, uh, and recipes for chicken soup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Thank you for listening to our program, and you can find more about our podcast at wetuesdaypeople.com on the web. Find out about our past podcasts, our conversations. Listen to all the old episodes. We're very proud to do this podcast as we are now into 2022. And until we get a chance to talk to you again, on behalf of Lisa Goich, who produces this program, I'm Mitch Album saying, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday people. <laughs>